my name is Joe Mueller. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Remedy, and it's my uh, privilege today uh, to get to preach from God's Word. So, um, me and uh, Fudd, when we were talking about who is going to do what when, um, Fudd thought he was going to be a little bit farther along in the book of Acts than he actually is. Um, so we are going to skip um, some ahead. Uh, so we're actually going to be in Acts 11 today, starting in verse 19, and we're going to skip Joppa, which I'm sure everyone is so sad about because Joppa is awesome. Just say Joppa, 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 Nobada. No, um, that's a Star Wars joke, if anybody got it. Um, so anyway, so we're skipping over Joppa, um, and we're going to be uh, in Acts chapter 11, uh, starting in, in verse 19. We're going to be looking at the church um, in Antioch. And so if you would um, uh, stand with me as I, as I read God's word, if you're able, um, we will look at Acts chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over St- uh, Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Go ahead and have a seat, and let's pray. Father, we, uh, we long to see wonderful things in your word. We long to know you better and to love you more. We want to hear from you today. We want to know your voice. We want the Holy Spirit to be at work in us as we hear your word preached. And we ask that you would uh, hammer home Uh, Christ to us today, that he would be more beautiful to our eyes, that he would be more precious to our souls, that he would be our source of joy and comfort and hope and peace more today because of what we hear and because of the work that you do in our hearts. And so God, please do this. We beg you to give us your spirit and to make us more like your son. Amen. So if I were to pull a million Christians, a million, and ask for their top ten passages in the Bible, I don't think one of them would pick Acts eleven nineteen 
through, was it 30? I doubt a single one, right? Because if you observe the passage, it seems very plain, right? Very plain, very simple, very normal account of a church being established. There's not even a miracle, right? Nobody gets healed. There's no great speech. There's no nothing. It just happens. It seems simple. It's almost as though it doesn't matter. It's normal. It's ordinary. But here's a Bible pro tip, right? If you want to understand the Bible, everything the Holy Spirit writes matters, right? There's no, like, throwaway verse. There's no throwaway passage. Everything fits into a bigger story. The only question is how. In fact, as, as we approach these simple, plain, normal accounts, I would always recommend taking a step back and seeing how it might fit into that bigger picture. Both, the book of, the, both of the book we're reading, which is the book of Acts, but then also the, the bigger story of God in the Bible. So I'm, I'm going to do a sort of a, a face value summary of our passage, right? We have Jewish Christians who were in Jerusalem, but they got spread out. They got forced out because of the persecution that arose after the martyrdom of Stephen. And they're making their way out of Jerusalem. And if, you, if you're looking at the map, right, uh, they're heading mostly north and mostly uh, northwest. That's the direction that they're spreading in our passage. As they go, they bring the message of the gospel. We've, we've seen this with Philip, but Philip's was much more, um, how do you say, cooler, right? It was way cooler. Uh, he had this great experience with this Ethiopian eunuch, and then he was gone, right? He, he goes to Samaria and performs all these miracles, and then the Holy Spirit comes there. But here we just have a simple account of a church being founded. In Antioch, to be sure, they preach the Greeks to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, which is important because it'll come on the heels of the extended explanation in Acts 10 through 11.18 of how Peter takes the gospel to the Gentiles. That's, that's Joppa, which we're skipping over this week. The gospel then takes root in the ordinary preaching of the gospel. Like we've seen in other places, like Acts 8.12 in Samaria. And then the church sends a representative there, this guy named Barnabas, which they've also sent representatives to churches that have been founded. Like in Acts 8.14, you can see that. And so then Barnabas, the son of encouragement, goes and he encourages them. And he builds up the church. Then he goes and gets Paul, and then they grow it some more. And now the church in Antioch finds out that there's going to be a famine. And so then they gather some money together and they send it to the church in Jerusalem. That is it. That's our whole passage. It looks like we're done. Thanks for being here this Sunday. Let's pray. Just kidding. (laughs) We're not done. Uh, There's actually a lot for us to talk about. Um, But this simple, plain, ordinary passage is important. The question is why? Why is something so plain, so ordinary, so simple in the Bible? And what can we learn about our great God through the Spirit because of Christ. So we're going to look at the big story of Acts first. We're going to do two things. Big story and then look at the church in Antioch. And for the big story, we're going to look at a triplet of triads or a triad of triplets or a triad of triads or a triplet of triplets. Basically three things. We're going to look at three things that each have three things in them. And there's going to be a handy chart up on the screen to help us look at it. So we've all seen this 
something, maybe not this chart, but we've all seen everything in that left column before, right? Community, mission, care. What is Remedy known for? What do we want to be known as a body for? Community, mission, and care, right? Community, mission, and care. Community, mission, all right. So, um, so that, is, that is a foundational principle of Acts. As we're going through the book of Acts, that is what we're trying to see and draw out and understand. But also to understand Acts, I, have to, I think we also need to understand three promises of Jesus that uh, are, are crucial, important, and powerful. So Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses, is Jesus' promise to his disciples. You will be my witnesses. And if you see that uh, this, this me, me, uh, meshes very well with our idea of mission, mesh with mission, witness. In uh, Matthew 28, 20, Jesus makes this astounding promise to his disciples. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God promises, Jesus promises his presence to be with his people. And Acts is about that promise. And finally, in, in John uh, thirteen thirty five, we see love as a key promise of Jesus. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So on top of community, mission, care, we have witness, presence, and love are these key foundational principles of acts that, that appear over and over and over again. And then finally, we have this geographical outline of Acts. We see that in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So I'm going to go through uh, a little bit of this geographical outline and try to highlight for you how these, these triplet of triads, this triad of triplets, is, is coming out in our story that we have seen so far in Acts. Start in Jerusalem. That's the first geographical uh, place here. We start in Jerusalem. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, the church stays in Jerusalem under the instruction of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Starting in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's Acts 1, 4, and 5. In Acts 2, the promise of Jesus is fulfilled, and the Holy Spirit descends on his people, God, the creator of the cosmos, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, makes his dwelling with his people. The fact that God would dwell personally with his people was foreshadowed to us in the Old Testament through types, through examples. Of these types, there are two that I want to talk about today. One is the glory cloud filling the temple, or the tabernacle, excuse me, in Exodus 40. Right, You have this... They build the tabernacle, and God uh, comes in his glory cloud and fills the tabernacle in this display of this promise that God will be a God who dwells with his people. The other type, I already said, um, but I'm going to say it now. So the other type is the glory cloud filling the temple 
right? You have the tabernacle and the temple in 1 Kings 8. Again, you have this same picture. The, the Solomon builds the, te- the temple, and then they're praying, they're dedicating it, they're killing lots of, of beasts and sacrificing them, and they're praying, and then um, the glory cloud comes and fills the temple. The promise, again, that God will dwell with his people. These find their consummation, their anti-type, their, their pointing to in the Spirit descending upon Jesus at his baptism. Jesus is a fulfillment of the promise for God to dwell among his people. And then the church shares in this anointing of Christ, and the Holy Spirit makes his habitation in the body temple of his people in Acts 2. Acts 2, 1, one through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The bodies of believers are temples. They are tent tabernacles. They are dwelling places of God Most High. 1 Corinthians 6.19 For do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? That's 1 Corinthians 6.19 So God Jesus, the God-man Jesus Christ, fulfills his promise to be with his people always. Always Jesus will be with you. By sending this God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to dwell perpetually with his people. His presence is with his people. And in so doing, God created a community, a community united in Christ. The Spirit unites us all together in one body. This community then becomes a context for profound and deep devotion amongst those so filled. They sell their possessions to care for those in deep need. You see that in Acts 4.34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. That's Acts 4, 34 through 35. They also met together on a regular basis and devoted themselves to their spiritual care. Community mission care. Care and, and love is what we'll see. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and the prayer, that's Acts 2, 42. This care is a product of immense love, created in them by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in them creating this. And this is all going on, this community, this care, in the context of a church that immediately and repeatedly bore witness. In Acts two thirty eight. we see this immediately after the Spirit is sent. In two thirty eight. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They carry on this witness, this mission, in many different ways. Through preaching, through persecutions, through miracles, through loving each other, etc. And we see different examples of community and mission and care and witness, presence and love. We see that all through uh, Acts, all the way up to Acts 7 and the martyrdom of Stephen and the persecution that arises in the beginning of Acts 8. 
And all through this first geographic session, this Jerusalem, on the one hand, right, God is testifying concerning his son. He's saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, this Jesus. And these are his people, the church. God is dwelling among them, and he is working in them and through them. God is the one doing it. And God is creating a loving unity among his people. That's what's happening on the one hand. And then on the other hand, in, our, in Jerusalem, right, the church is witnessing to the truth and love. They are, the church is the temple, the dwelling place of the God Most High, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the church is loving each other. And so that brings us to the end of our first geographical section of Jerusalem. And we see in this section community mission care, community mission care. But we also see the three promises, the three promises of Jesus fulfilled that we will bear witness, that he will be with us, and that we will be known by our love. Then we go to Judea and Samaria. The end of Acts 7, beginning of Acts 8, there's a great persecution that arises and the church is scattered. Though the apostles stay, people like Philip the evangelist, he's an evangelist, right? He takes the gospel with them as they scatter. And the area around Jerusalem, immediately around Jerusalem, is Judea and Samaria. And so Philip is a key player in, in how the gospel reaches that region. The mission and witness of the church continues through Philip. We see this in Acts 8.12, but... When they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. That's Acts 8.12. The presence also continues as God bears witness of his people that they are his, that even Samaritans, those kind of Jews, are body temples of God Most High and are part of his people. They're part of his community. This happens in, in Acts 8 now, verses 14 through 17. That when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. God will be with you always. Acts 8, 14 through 17. That last part was me saying it. That wasn't from Acts. Just saying. Anyway. Um, for care and love, I don't have a single set of verses. I, but I want to I point to two examples of, of how love and care are manifested in this next section of Judea and Samaria. The first we heard last week. Her name is Dorcas. Which is a great name. I love that name. Um, but think about how she was described as a person. If you can remember last week. Acts 9, 36 and 39, she was full of good works and acts of charity. Then 39, all the widows stood beside Peter weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So, so Dorcas, this woman, this ordinary woman, was fulfilling what, what is the second greatest commandment. If you remember to what Jesus said in Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40, He's, he's answering the, the question, right? Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? He says in Matthew 37, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the greatest and first commandment. Then in verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So Dorcas is loving her neighbor by using her skill as a seamstress to make garments for people who have no clothes. And she, she, she devoted herself to this task so thoroughly, so thoroughly that they missed it so much when she was gone. And they, they had physical, tangible examples of her love that they could share with the world. The second example that I will leave with you to plumb the depths of as you go from here, as you think about it yourself, is the person of Paul, Saul, that once murderer of Christians. I mean, just imagine being Ananias. You're going into this room with a blind man who you know has killed Christians. And you, you have a chance. You have a chance to take revenge, right? You have a chance to make him pay. But he doesn't. He actually heals his blindness. Or imagine, imagine that you're one of, one of the people who gathers around Paul, and the Jews are so mad at him that they want to kill him. And, and you're willing to risk everything and lower him down the wall in a basket. Or imagine that uh, you're one of the first apostles, you're Barnabas, and this once murderer comes to Jerusalem, he could have intents to kill all of you, but you believe him, and you go get him, and you go bring him before the apostles. I mean, what risky love, right? What risky, gutsy love. What selfless care for Paul. What precious blood of the lamb who takes away the sin of the world bought acceptance. You would never have accepted Paul. You would never have accepted Paul without the blood of Christ. Without somebody paying the penalty for what Paul had done. How could anyone accept him in? But because of what God has done, because of the love that he, that he works in his people, Paul is accepted. So again, in this second geographical section, we are seeing that God is testifying concerning his son. God is dwelling among his people. And God is creating a loving unity among them. And again, we see that the church is witnessing to the truth and love. He is um, building his church, the temple of the dwelling place, as a triune God. And the church is loving each other. So that brings us very close to the end of our second geographical section of Acts, Judea, Samaria, um, where we see community mission care, and we see witness, presence, and we see love. But we haven't gotten to the biggest bombshell of this section yet. We haven't gotten to Joppa. Get to the Joppa! Right? <laughs> yep. Aw, oh, yeah. No. Um, <laughs> uh, and I can't even get to Joppa. Because FUD is going there next week, right? That's what FUD's going to do next week, so I, won't, I don't want to steal his thunder. But what happens at Joppa? It's important. We've got to know what happens at Joppa. Um, something big. Something really, 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 really big happens at Joppa. And, and when I say Joppa, it's just funner to say Joppa. It really happens at Joppa and Caesarea. Uh, but, um, and it's really, really big. And so all I'm going to say about it is this. The presence, the presence right? God dwelling with his people, it extends to the body temples of Gentiles. And even to a Roman soldier, like if you think of all the people that Jews hate, Roman soldiers have got to be at the top of the list. 
even Gentiles, Roman soldier Gentiles, are now clean because God has made them clean. That's Acts 10, 15. God has made clean, do not call common. Also, Acts eleven eighteen. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's Acts eleven eight. The Gentiles. There are two types of people. Jews and Gentiles, all right? Jews and everybody else. The Jews are few. The Gentiles are many. The Jews inhabit the land of Israel, the promised land. The Gentiles inhabit the outside world, everywhere else, the common land. The Jews are clean. The Gentiles are unclean. The Jews are the people of God. The Gentiles are not the people of God. But now, because the Spirit fills even the body temples of Gentiles, Gentiles are now part of the family of God. Now, God's declaration to Moses will prove true. And he does this in Numbers 14, 21. God says, but truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And that takes us right up to the end of our third section, or right up to the beginning of our third section. All the ends of the earth. Getting to the ends of the earth. How are we going to get there? We haven't gotten there in, the, in Acts yet, but, but we're starting to. We're just about there. We're almost to the ends of the earth. Habakkuk 2.14 puts God's promise about the ends of the earth this way. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Habakkuk 2.14. But how are we going to get there? How are we going to get to the place where the glory of the Lord doesn't, hasn't spread over the whole world yet? It's not there yet? How is the gospel going to go out to the ends of the earth? How will it spread? By what means is God going to use to get it there? Well, the answer to those questions is not fully written yet. Right? We're still in an age where the, the gospel is still extending, still penetrating to the ends of the earth. It's gone far, but it's not yet done. But I know where the, an- the answer to this question starts, right? I don't know how it's going to end, but I know where it starts. And it started with the church in Antioch. That's where it starts. So now we, we're thinking about the big story. We're done thinking about the big story. Now we're thinking about the church in Antioch. We're going to see this pattern again. In these simple, ordinary, normal verses, we see this extraordinary powerful, amazing pattern again. We see community, mission, care. We see witness, presence, and love. We'll start with mission. Here we see that the church gets established. The church established or mission. Now look at at verse 19. Notice how Luke circles us back to the beginning of the section on Judea and Samaria. Verse 19 in chapter 11, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Now he brings us back up to the Gentile inclusion, back to Joppa. Traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Now up to this point, this word Hellenist has always been translated as Greek-speaking Jew. 
That's what it's been when we saw it in two other places previously. But here, this really means a Hellenist, a, a Greek person, somebody who is, in fact, a Gentile. And what did they say to them? Verse 20, they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, what does it mean to preach the Lord Jesus? What does that mean? Well, I think it means something like this. And, and this is going to be a, uh, an opportunity for us to, to consider what the gospel is. What is the gospel? Now, I don't, I don't know if you know, um, if, you, if you reflect often on this world that we live in. Um, but it often seems to me that there is something terribly wrong with this world. Um, there are things that just should not be that are. Um, and as I think about that, I feel like that extends even to my own heart, right? There are things about me that just shouldn't be. There are uh, ways that I feel in situations that, that I shouldn't feel. There is a problem. There is a problem deep within my own heart. And there's a deep problem in all of our hearts. And as we think about our world, the, the collective evil that we see, even that idea of evil, right, is a testimony to us that there is something wrong. There is something going on in this world. And, and the Bible is very clear about where that evil comes from, right? Uh, the, the Bible shows us that, that evil has come from sin, which has entered the world. We, we, uh, God created us. He, he gave us a law, right, for us to obey. And very early on, we said no. We said no to God. We said, we're going to do it our way. We know better than you. And as we turn from God, our creator, this evil came into this world. And so we began to, to, to stand against God, stand against what he stood for, and we began to have enmity with each other, began to fight each other. There is violence and murder and grief because of what we have done. And that's in each of us. But, but God is gracious, right? God is merciful. God is powerful. God is willing to make a way to bring us back. And so it, it, very early on, God promised to send his son. Right there's in, in Genesis 3, it talks about how uh, the, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, uh, but the serpent would strike the heel. And so as, as, we, as we think about how, how that promise, how that story uh, unfolds, this man named Jesus comes along, born of a virgin to a, a, a Jew in the line of David, which is what was promised. This man is born... But he's no ordinary man. He is a God-man. He is the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is fully human. He is fully God. And this man, he came and he lived a perfect life because we had to have perfection to enter the presence of God. God is perfect. God is love. But God is just. And no injustice can stand before him. And so this perfect Jesus, he lived a perfect life, but then he died a criminal's death. He died on a cross. He died a death that he shouldn't deserve. And the reason that he did that was so that that darkness, that sickness, that evil that lives within each of us could be put away. So that his perfect obedience could be given to us and so that our sin could be crucified with him on the cross. So that the penalty 
could be paid and so that we could have life with God forever. And so Jesus dies on the cross, but he doesn't end in a tomb. Three days later, he rises again. And with that resurrection, he offers a promise to us all. He says that if you believe in me, if you trust in me, you will have this life too. I am the first to rise, but we shall all rise. So trust in Jesus. So he may not have said that exactly, but that is an example, right, of how we might tell someone the gospel. And so in Acts 11.20, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So I want to encourage us for a second here. Um, I want us to think about two things. These Christians who were persecuted and go, how did they handle this adversity? When they reached um, Antioch, how did they handle it? And I'm challenged by how these people handled it. I'm challenged by how my brothers and sisters who found themselves in Antioch, instead of complaining about how hard it was to pack up their lives and be uprooted, how sad they were that their brothers and sisters had been harmed and hurt and persecuted, they jump right in in the land of their sojournings and got busy. There might be a chance that some of us use our circumstances as an excuse. I know I do, all the time. I do it all the time. My circumstances become a hindrance for God to use me. I I can't because I just don't have enough time, or there's just too much for me to do. But God wants to use my circumstances. He wants to use where I am because of my life circumstances. He wants to do that as an opportunity. There is no one else where you are right now. Not a single person is, because you are the only you. And who might God use your circumstances today? Where you are at right now in your life, who might God use you to reach with the gospel? Because of where you are and no one else is. And your circumstances are the things that put you in that position. Then the second thing is that you will never know what will come of your witness. You may never know. In addition to bringing these individuals in Antioch to the family of God, the church in Antioch would become a huge global influence. Paul's missionary journeys in Acts 13 and onward, they all come from the city of Antioch. That is where he is commissioned. That is where he gets his, his family is. That's where he gets his encouragement. It all comes from Antioch. And you will never know, parent or child or friend, how these present, small, unimportant, even ordinary interactions may impact the rest of eternity. They may impact thousands upon thousands of lives because of your obedience today. Your parents, your friends, your coworkers, your fill-in-the-blank might hear and believe as you remain faithful in your witness. And you never know how God might use you to change the world. So then we have the church encouraged, is our next point here, our community point. So that that was our mission, now we're on community. After the church was founded, community was formed. We see that in Acts 11, 22 through 25. The, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When they came and saw the church of God, he was glad 
And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So we see community is formed in the use of the words them, right? He, he exhorted them in verse 23. And also in the end of verse 24, a great many people were added to the Lord. So there we have it. We have a community. We have a presence. And, and here's how we see that presence. I think it's a little bit tricky. So um, how do we see presence here? So I think Luke is giving the Holy Spirit a shout out in how he's describing uh, the person of uh, Barnabas. So Barnabas, he sees the grace of God in verse 23. He sees the grace of God, or it says he saw the grace of God. So go from here, go read Isaiah chapter 35. But Isaiah chapter 35, the very beginning, he's describing what's called a recreation event, right? God, there's a desert. It's, it's deserty, right? Deserts are deserty. They're dead. There's not much life in a desert. And um, what happens in this barren desert land is that God springs forth life. And this is a, what's called a recreation event. He is recreating the world. He is turning what is death into what is life. And that, my friends, is the work of the Spirit. That is what the Spirit is doing. And then we, then we see this in, in verse 2 of, of chapter 35 of the book of Isaiah, which is, a, I guess, a British way of saying it. Um, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. They shall see it. And that's what Barnabas is doing. He is seeing the grace of God. Then, then in verse 23, you also see this phrase, remain faithful with steadfast purpose. And I think this is another sort of tip of the hat to uh, the Holy Spirit because we see in John 14, 26, Jesus say this. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit will keep you faithful and he will give you a steadfast purpose by teaching you all things and bringing to mind uh, the words of, of Christ. And then finally, the most obvious tip of the hat to the Holy Spirit, uh, Barnabas is described as full of the Holy Spirit. And that's in verse 24. Uh, what does that mean, though, to be full of the Holy Spirit? I think Galatians 5, through 23 is a good place for us to start. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So we definitely see a community formed, and I believe that we really see the presence of God dwelling with his people in Antioch. So a couple questions here. There's four questions from this section I want to ask. First is, where are you seeing the grace of God? Where is it making you glad? In whom do you want to see the grace of God? Where do you see barren wasteland, desert, death? And you would just love to see it spring forth to life. 
Where do you want to see the Spirit move? My encouragement to you is to pray. Second question. Do you see the Holy Spirit as your teacher? Is he the one who brings the word to bear on every situation of your life? Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return but there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I uh, purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Where do you need this word not to return empty? Where do you need this transforming, sustaining, empowering work in your life? Where is the Holy Spirit for you, your teacher? Third question is, are you conscience, conscious, conscious, not conscience, conscious, um, of the development of the Spirit's fruit in your life? Do you see more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness? Gentleness is so not in vogue, right? Who wants to be more gentle? But that's a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control and love. Are you aware of those constantly developing in your life? Are you begging, begging God for those? Because Luke tells us this. He promises us this in, in Luke eleven nine through 13. But I'm just going to read 13. I think we all know the story. If you ask for bread, right? If your kid asks for bread, you're not going to give him a snake or a scorpion. That would be stupid and mean. Uh, that would be a mean thing to do. But um, so, so this is what... Uh, Jesus says concerning that idea, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So ask the Lord for His Spirit. Beg. Repeatedly. Constantly. Persistently. Remember, your body is a temple. God makes his dwelling among us. He is father to us through Christ. And we should and can be coming to him in prayer for all things. But especially for his spirit. And then the last question. The last thing I wanted to ask uh, is this. Who is your Saul? And who is your Barnabas? So Acts 20, 11, 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Who are or who can you partner with in the work that God has specifically called to you? Who can you encourage and who can encourage you? Now, when I say work here, I don't, I don't mean that we are all Barnabas and Saul. Because we're not, right? We are not apostles. We're not even all Barnabases. What I mean is this. Who can help and encourage you and, and show you how you can better love your neighbor as yourself? 
however that looks in your particular vocation, your job, what God has ordained for you to be doing right now today. I'm a, I'm a husband, right? I'm a father. I'm an employee. I'm a pastor. And I have the joy of loving many different neighbors in many different ways. And you might have different vocations too. You may have more than just a job. You may also be a husband or a, or a wife. You may also be um, a member of the town council. I don't think we have any members of the town council here. But you could be. Um, you could be all of these vocations. And who is encouraging you in your vocation, your job, to be a faithful witness to Christ? To love your neighbor as yourself, even when your boss is a jerk. How do you still love him? How do you still care for him? How do you still serve God by serving him? And who are you encouraging? Who do you get encouragement from? And who do you give encouragement to? Who is your Barnabas? And who is your Saul? So the final thing we're looking at today is the church engaged. And that's where we get our care from. We started with mission and witness. Then we went to community and presence, God with his people, forming his people, making them his people with the Holy Spirit. And and we're going to end with care because that's where our text ends. We're going to end with care and with love. Acts 11, 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now the big thing I want you to see is how quickly love, love becomes the divining characteristic of the church in Antioch. Notice how love acts. This is, this is an example, a picture, a snapshot of love in action. Love sees impending danger. A famine is coming. And notices the need of another in the face of that impending danger. Remember, Antioch it only exists because the church in Jerusalem was being slain. They were being persecuted. They were being driven from their homes. And they thought, they put two and two together, famine, persecution. And they say, man, those Jews in Jerusalem, those Jewish Christians, those brothers and sisters of mine, what's going to happen to them when the famine hits? How are they going to feed their children? How are they going to feed their parents? How are they going to take care of the people that they love the most? And they answered, I don't know. But I'll find a way. And so then they they get together and they do something self-sacrificial for the good of another. That is love on display. The church in Antioch, they made a plan. Verse 29. The disciples determined they made a plan and this plan was according to his ability each one according to his ability which means that not everyone did the same thing they all didn't give the same amount but instead they gave as much as they could given their circumstances so some 
gave more and some gave less. But they all gave. They all loved. They all participated. And so this is my challenge to us as a church. Church, it's, it's okay for love to be planned. It is okay to determine to love. It is okay to make a plan to do so. So quick word of what, what, what does this mean, this ability, this means. I want to say something quickly about that. So in the ESV, it says ability. In the NAS, NASB, it means means, right? And colloquially, we have this thing, oh, he's a man of great means, which means that he is rich, right? That's what that means. Uh, it means he's rich. Um, so John Wesley uh, is often attributed as saying this. He says, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. I don't want to put a new law upon you, but I think this is really sound wisdom. There is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to be a millionaire. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Imagine all the people you can help if you're a millionaire. It is way more than you can help if you're not a millionaire. Like, <laughs> way more. So there is absolutely nothing wrong with a great ambition to love your neighbor so well that he wants to give you all his money, right? Like, you've, you've created something so good, so valuable, so necessary for the good of your neighbor that he's willing to exchange money with you for whatever it is that, that you have. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I even encourage you that, that in some ways that is the best way you can love your neighbor is by being super good at what you do. That is a great way to love. If you're a teacher, teach. Be the best teacher in this world. And love those kids. Grow those kids up to, to be useful members of society who can give freely of their knowledge and create good things that cure diseases or help people live useful, productive lives. That is a good and noble thing. And so it's not meaningless to become a, mean, a millionaire. It's not bad. And I would encourage, I would, I would love it if all of us could be, right? That would be great. But we don't become millionaires to increase our own means so that uh, we can enrich our own lives with meaningless stuff, right? We don't do it for that reason. That's the world's reason for becoming a millionaire. We become millionaires. We become rich. We increase our means so that we may give and give generously. So wrapping up here, the message of Acts centers around this triplet of triads we described earlier. This three things of three things. They were community, mission, and care. They were witness, presence, and love. And they were Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we ask, how does our passage matter? How does it fit into this big story of Acts? Our passage matters because it establishes Antioch. Right? Antioch, if you, if you draw a map, right, you have Turkey. Then you have Palestine, right? It forms like a little T, like right there. Antioch is like, boom, right there. Right on the edge of the ends of the world. It is right there. If you wanted a base of operations to go to the end of the world, and you're from Jerusalem, 
Antioch seems like a great choice. It is so close to everything. From Antioch, you can go east to Persia and India and China. Or you can go west, right, through Greece and Turkey. You've got to go through Turkey before you get to Greece. Anyone's geography? Turkey, then Greece, then like Macedonia, which is like north of Greece, and then like to Italy, which is west, and even to Spain. Great location. And so in Antioch, we see a new church, a new pattern church, a church just like the church in Jerusalem, a church founded on community, mission, care, a church that is all about witness, all about presence, the presence of God among his people and love of one another. Antioch becomes this church, this, same, this church that has the same exact DNA, if we can use a biology term here. The same exact DNA as the church in Jerusalem is the DNA that inhabits, that, that dwells within the church in Antioch. Antioch has become a place where the church witnesses to the truth and love. The church functions as the temple, the dwelling place of the triune God. And the church loves each other in Antioch. But in Antioch, we also see that God is testifying concerning his son. God is dwelling among his people. And God is creating a loving unity among them. And so the question becomes, Remedy, do you want that? Do you want to be that type of church? Do you want the world to see Jesus, to know his forgiveness, to taste of his peace, and to call Jesus good? To know that his yoke is easy and Jesus' burden is light. Do you want them to experience the grace and gentleness of Jesus? Do you want the world to hear how they can be saved? And do you want them to know, and I mean really know, the God that created the whole world and who wants to make his home with them. God wants to dwell with people. And those are rhetorical questions because I know the answer is that we do. We do want those things. So let us join together and cast ourselves upon the mercy of God. Upon our Savior, Jesus. Let us step out in acts of faithful obedience and trust that God will testify through us concerning his son. That God will really dwell among us. He will make his home in us. And that his love will knit and bind us together. Let's pray. God, you are so faithful. Your word is true. And your spirit is real. And the truth of your gospel is life-changing. And so, God, we ask that we would be your people. And that you would be our God. That we would be your sheep and you would be our shepherd. That you would lead and guide us into all truth. That our hearts would obey you. And that in all things you would get the honor and the glory you deserve. We love you, Lord. Amen.